I'm going to begin today with this statement that I'll I'll most likely say uh, several times throughout the morning. Most people, um, or we could say many people, um, but I'm going to say most people's beliefs are unexamined. Most people's beliefs are unexamined, at least when I am having conversation with, with people, and they say, I'm this or that. I'm, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Christian, blah, blah, blah. I'm a, I believe all roads lead to, to God. And I'll say, well, tell me how you came to that conclusion. And typically, it's pretty flimsy, and I say that respectfully. It's pretty flimsy. Like, um, you know, I, I uh, just saw a show, I saw Oprah, and she said this, and, uh, you know, and, or, or whoever that may be, and they've come to this conclusion. My 13-year-old is uh, our evangelist um, in our home, and he has three friends that are, that are self-proclaimed atheists at 13 years old. And... Uh, they, when you ask them, you know, how did you come to this conclusion? You find out that their parents are atheists. And so they've just naturally embraced that. But this is not only true for atheists, it's true for Christians. If you ask Christians, have you really examined your faith? Have you really, could you, could you defend your faith? Could you tell someone why you're a Christian? And if the answer is, well, my parents were, and I was, I was brought up in church, or my grandparents were, I would challenge us today together to examine those things that, are, that, are, that we believe uh, in. December was a, was a kind of a, a rough month for the McCoy Ranch um, because, uh, and on a number of fronts, but one of the primary things was uh, my wife and I were out of the country on, in the first week of December. Uh, we came back, and about a week after that, we got a call from the school that our, our youngest son was having chest spasm seizures types of things, and which was scary. So my wife went, picked him up right away, took him to the doctor right away. The doctor that we have, the pediatrician, is typically laid back. But he said these words. He said, you know, I, I lost a patient with something like this last week, a child. And I'm like, wow, we, let's, you know, what do we need to do as parents so he said, we need chest x-rays, echocardiogram, blood test, on and on and on. No problem. Let, let's, let's go for it, right? So we did. And so we did the chest x-ray first, and then a few days later, you know, we're doing blood work, and, you know, then connected with the doctor, and the doctor said, hey, I was looking at that, those x-rays, and um, your son has pneumonia. And so we began, uh, we felt blessed to have caught it, because had we not, he's asthmatic, has, had we not caught it through, because of what happened with his chest, and then we would have just kind of rolled into, and we, think, we would have thought, well, this is just you know, an asthmatic cough, and it's gone into a cold, et cetera, and who knows how long we would, he would have had pneumonia. You see what I'm saying? I'm saying that because it caused us to examine something deeper, and unfortunately, sometimes it takes that kind of cataclysmic event to say, hey, whoa, we need to check something out. And when it comes to the spiritual realm, unfortunately, as human beings, we often wait till something cataclysmic happens. And like, wow, maybe I should, you know, dig down deep and, and have this kind of examination where I am spiritually. But God invites us to have that kind of a, an examination without something terrible happening. And I believe that's kind of where we find ourselves today. We've been going through the book of John. We just sang this worship uh, lyric that says, this is who you are, God, and this is who I am. And this conversation that we've been having back all the way into December, November, where we've looked at the best friend of Jesus, his name is John, and we've been looking at his story and how he opens the story. Now, I've been a Christian for over 35 years and read the book of John many, many times. And, uh, you know, this is the way the Word of God is. You could read it for a thousand years and it just keeps getting deeper and more layers, etc. And I'm delightfully stunned by how John can put the most profound truths of life in the most concise way. And that's what we're going to see today. Because John is going to help us define 
why we are Christ followers, those of us that are Christ followers. And he's going to define, in my opinion, the greatest dilemma that human beings face. And in one sentence, John will present to us the profound resolve, this profound solution to the greatest human dilemma in one sentence. Do I have your attention? <laughs> so we're going to back up a little bit uh, to, the, the, to the statement he made uh, before the profound statement. We looked at this last week. If you have your Bible, I'm going to be in the first chapter of John's story, the Gospel of John. Or you have a mobile device, you can bring that out, or the content will be up on the screen for you. And so uh, we begin by asking ourselves some questions today before we read this passage. Now, I like to put things in a simple way. I think Jesus took that approach. I'm going to talk to you about the end of time or the kingdom of God, and we're going to do that through the vehicle of, uh, of seeds and plants and fish and things that people could understand. So I, I'm going to propose to you that if you're going to look at a faith, whether that's Christianity or you're looking at Hinduism, you're looking at Buddhism, you're looking at Islam, um, or, or whatever that might be, that a person should ask these five questions. And those questions, these questions are intentionally simple, and yet I believe that they get to the heart of of the questions that should be asked of any faith in, in all fairness. And so these questions, let me put them up on the screen. Uh, does the faith that you're looking for align with the real-life dilemma, which we're going to talk about, the greatest dilemma of human, the human race? Is the credibility of the messenger who is bringing this faith, whoever that may be? Does it depend on human effort? Is it durable? Is it here one day, gone tomorrow? Does it make you have assurance and hope one day and the next day it freaks you out? And finally, is it fair? Those that are close to me know that fairness for me is a big, big deal. And is it fair? I think that's important. Now, we begin with John, and we're going to back the train up to the couple of statements that he makes before his solution. In John chapter 1 and verse 10, speaking of Christ, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him. It is a profound description of Jesus that he was not just a good man, not just a good teacher. He was not just the savior of the world, but he was the creator of the world. That although... The, the world was made through him. The world that he created, the human beings, did not affirm him, recognize him, embrace him, engage him, accept him. You can put any word you want in there. That though Christ was the creator of human beings, those same human beings did not embrace him. In verse 11, Christ came to that which was his own, meaning he came to human beings that, they, that he made, but they did his own, human beings, did not receive him. Now, this represents for us the great dilemma. Now, I have put my great artistic expertise to work this week, and I have done a stick man figure to further simplify this dilemma. All right? So um, here we go. Uh, yes, I did that all by myself. Aren't you? Uh, isn't that impressive? <laughs> Not knowing exactly how to draw God, I, I drew the glory of God in a big yellow spot. <laughs> so for our purposes, that represents God. And this stick figure here represents Adam. Now, when God made every living thing, he made them and they were physically alive. God made Adam from the clay of the ground, and he created this being, this physical being. And then God did something that was distinctive only to man. God breathed into 
Adam and, and something happened on the inside. He became a living soul. Now, before this, God had created things that crawl, crawl on the ground, cattle, fish, and there's nowhere where God said that he breathed and something came to life on the inside. Animals don't have souls. This is the brilliance of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. We won't get there, but for those of you that study it, you'll, you'll understand there wasn't any, an eternal consequence to those animals. And so God substituted them. That's, if you, that just went over your head, don't even worry about it. But, but, um, but God, when he created Adam, he brought Adam to life to become a, a living soul, not just a human being. And from the beginning, God said, a, a human being then is two parts. Uh, he has got a, on the outside alive and on the inside alive. Now, there's, there's body and soul and spirit. And again, for Sunday morning, we won't dissect it that deep. But I just, for our purposes, Adam was alive on the outside. Fingers are moving. Eyes are blinking. But he was alive on the inside because God had breathed into him. Are you with me? Now, Adam then, as we know the story goes, blew it. And he disregarded God. God said, you can have everything in the garden except this tree. And it wasn't just a simple tree. There's a profound reason why God said that's off limits. And he said, if you eat, God said to Adam, if you eat of the tree, you will die. As if it were Sinai or some, some poison. So as the story goes, Adam and Eve ate of the tree. And then something happened on the inside. He died. Now in that moment, they may have you know, taken uh, the, the fruit, eaten the fruit, and then they look at each other and their eyes locked like, hey, we're still alive. We didn't die. But something's different. Hey, I'm naked. You're naked. Something had changed on the inside and they had died on the inside because death is a picture of separation. When someone dies, you don't see them anymore and you're separated for a long period of time. So death, something happened to Adam on the inside that he was separated from God. And we know this because then up to that point, God and Adam had this energy, this synergy, this rhythm. Because we know that because otherwise God would not have said when he came into the garden, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I hid. I am now separated from you because something has died on the inside. And so now there's this thing between man and God, this separation between man and God. And you say, now how do you know that's true, Steve? And it's not just your opinion. Let me give you a stunning number. Are you ready? So this week I'm looking up Pew Research and Gallup Poll and blah, 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 all the guys that do, you know, and every single one of them agreed on this number. The percentage of the human race on the planet currently that is affiliated with organized religion. I thought the number was going to be lower. It beat my expectations. The percentage of the human population that is affiliated with an organized religion is 84%. 84%. Now, this doesn't measure the people that are undecided. Now, it seems like in America, for example, that the, an atheist, the atheists have a loud voice and the, the, the microphone at the moment, but the real numbers, there's only 3% of Americans who claim to be atheists. It seems bigger than that, doesn't it? Media has a way of amplifying things. But there's a good percentage of people that still would say, I'm not affiliated with the language. I may be what's called a pluralist. I believe all roads lead to God, and I'm not associated with any of them. So I believe that we could safely say in the human population that at least 90 and probably 95% are affiliated with some pursuit of a God, meaning they understand there is something wrong. There's something broken and I need to pursue God. That's how we know it's a human dilemma because there are billions who are trying to fix the dilemma. 
Now, let me make sure we all understand it, the, the, where the dilemma is. It's right there, inside. It's, and you're like, okay, that's, that's obvious, but not so fast. The dilemma is not here in my mind. The dilemma is not if I just believe, agree with my mind a certain set of bullet points, then I've resolved the dilemma. It's not true because the dilemma is not in my thinking. It's that before Christ, I'm dead on the inside. And no matter any degree of thinking will make me alive on the inside. Something supernaturally has happened on the inside of human beings and an intellectual agreement to whatever faith it happens to be will not bring that inside to life. Are you tracking with me? So watch how John brilliantly in one sentence answers all five questions that we put on the board. Watch this. Here we go. John chapter 1, verse 12. Speaking of Christ and us, but to all who received Christ, embraced Christ, not just intellectually agreed to the concept of Christianity, but it received Christ who believed on in his name, meaning his name was his identity, and the word believe means like if I said, I'm falling and Carl is going to catch me and I believe that you can and I'm going to fall. I believe to the point where I'm depending that you're going to catch me, not just like, I believe that you can, but I'm not going to fall. That means I've fallen into Christ with all my faith, knowing that I can't do it on my own. I fall. And when we have that intersection, not like, yeah, I agree with that, but when we have that intersection, like I'm falling into you, God. I'm falling into your arms, Christ. When we believe in his identity and fall into who he is, and at that point, he gave the power to become the children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, when we read those words, born of God, that means something has supernaturally happened. It is of God, and there is a newness. When something's born, it's a new thing. So let's go back to my masterpiece here. Remember, this is the problem on the inside. And what John has just said, it is not by our human will, decisions, effort, etc. But something has happened now where God says, you're born on the inside. Now, right after this, John then says, let me record for you a real life experience to this profound truth. There was a man named Nicodemus just two chapters later in the book of John. This man was on the upper up. He had the corner office in, in the office building of religion. In order to get to his office, you had to go up many floors because it took many years for him to get where he was. He had to do a lot of things in order to achieve the level of religiosity that he had, that he had found himself in. He comes to Jesus and he begins to throw his weight around, his religious weight around. John chapter 3 and verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now the Pharisees prided themselves on getting all the rules right. They had six, over 600 rules that they created and they prided themselves on getting them right. So to be a member means that you got all those outside things right. And not only that, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council whose office was 10 floors above just a regular Pharisee. In other words, he was honored and respected, and because it freaked him out to talk to Jesus, he came to Jesus at night in verse 2, and he said, Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. 
Now let me step on some toes. I'm afraid that there are Christians that stop here. They have acknowledged that Jesus is, a, a, is from God. And so Nicodemus comes and said, I acknowledge, I affirm that you are from God. I, I know that. Now, Jesus could have answered in a lot of different ways. He could have said, you know what? I'm really impressed that you know that. Uh, good observation. And um, how did you come to find that out? I mean, what was your discovery with that? And um, that's, pretty, that's pretty hot stuff, isn't it? That uh, I'm from God. I mean, he could have, he doesn't do any of that. Jesus, as he always does, says, can I cut to the real issue? It's great all the things you've done, Nicodemus. You've obeyed all the rules. Never missed a Sunday school class. Way to go. You've memorized a great portion of the Bible. Fantastic. Excellent. Man, you have walked a straight and narrow. You, I, I bet, how much ice cream have you given up in life? I mean, you know, the ice cream of life. You've not done the fun stuff. Way to go. You're still dead on the inside. Jesus said, let me cut to the real issue. It's not all about that stuff. Let me cut to the real issue. Because in the very next statement, in, in the in third verse of the chapter 3 in John, Jesus said, hey, let me cut to it. Very truly, I tell you. You see, when Jesus says this, I got I to tell you, man, this is really, really, really important. Nicodemus don't miss it, man. Don't miss it. He said this. Nicodemus, don't miss it. No one can see the, the kingdom of God unless God has brought you alive on the inside. Unless you're born again. Same thing John said two chapters early, that they didn't receive him. But to those who received him, they, he, he gave new birth. You see, the, the cool thing about Jesus is he doesn't get caught up in the unnecessary. Now listen carefully. In this day and age of social media and social media civil wars, I'm afraid that as believers we get caught up in arguments that are unnecessary because they don't lead to the great dilemma. It is important that we're able to defend our faith. It's important that we have answers to the questions. But listen, just because a person can understand the difference between creation and evolution, it doesn't mean they are alive on the inside. And we can, we can think that if I just settle this argument that we're having, then Bob will be good. Bob, like the rest of us, is dead on the inside before we meet Christ. And we have to be careful that we're not arguing against something that we never get to the real thing. Does that make sense to you? Jesus wasn't impressed by all the real religiosity. He said, I'm, I'm going to love you enough to get to the real deal here. Now, we can talk about a lot of different things, but at the end of all those things, let's not forget that we are dead, separated from God, and we need for God to bring us life, period, period. So John, after saying this profound truth, he goes back to, let me go back to John chapter 1 and verse 12. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. You see... What we're talking about here is a supernatural intersection with God. And too many people are trying to cross all the T's and dot all the I's and make sure they figure out all things before they come to God. Listen, I've been tracking God for 38 years and I just feel like I'm a half a thimble right now, truly. And I, I feel like I've studied a lot. And you know, the more study, the more stupid you, you find you are. You know what I mean? So, so I want to revisit some of these questions that we ask, all these questions, in fact, that we ask. Let's begin with the first one. 
Does it align with the real life dilemma? In other words, if you're examining Christianity or Buddhism, Hinduism, or Islam, if, if, or any, uh, you know, many other little minor ones, uh, or minor ones, but if you're examining those, you have to ask yourself the question, does that take care of the real dilemma, which is I'm dead inside and I need to be brought to life? It, does, it, does it answer the question, and, and, and is, is there a capacity to take care of that? So this past week, respectfully, I uh, went to my search engine and typed in, how do you become a Muslim? And just to see, and I went to several sites and basically the same thing. And it's a ritual. There's a sentence to be said. Um, there's a trust factor there. There's a washing of hands. There's some ritualistic things. But as I respectfully read it, I'm not here to throw rocks, but, as I, I'm, but I'm here to speak truth. And as I, as I read it with a respectful mindset, at the end I thought, wow, there's still a dilemma. This is not about joining a brotherhood. That doesn't take care of the dilemma. This, this isn't having faith in one, a, one God if that God is not going to bring me alive on the inside. Do you see what I'm saying? And I hope that you understand I'm saying this respectfully. Listen, no faith or religion that, that misses the mark that we are dead is worth pursuing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, how good or bad they are. It, it, we have to look at even Christianity. We have to say, let's look at Christianity. Does it take care of the dilemma? The dilemma that we all know as human beings, at least 90 95% of us. You see, the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. With Christ, even when we were dead. Don't you remember when the prodigal son came back? You remember what the father said? Jesus was painting a picture that, that Christ alone can bring life. You remember he said, the father said, my son was dead, and now he's alive. He's, it's like the walking dead. How about that one? <laughs> even when we were dead, separated in transgressions, see, it's God coming to us. It is grace that we've been saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once away, far away, far away, far away, it addresses Christianity, addresses the greatest dilemma. You who were once far away now have been brought near to God by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. By the blood, there is evidence of the transaction that God makes and now we're sure because Christ answers the greatest dilemma. It's important. It's important. Perhaps you're having a conversation with yourself right now. Maybe you're saying, wow, have I just intellectually agreed or have I fallen into the arms of Christ and say, make me alive, just like the prodigal did. And the Father, make me alive, make me alive. Perhaps you're having conversations with some yet-to-believe family or friends. You could stop right here. You don't have to be a theologian. You could say, I'll tell you what, man. This is my story. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you Steve's story in 60 minutes, 60 seconds. <laughs> you're like, oh, Lord, 60 minutes. <laughs> All right, let's take 60 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was an ambitious student of music. I pursued music with all my heart. And I thought that it could give me something. I thought it could bring me alive inside. I won first place in every competition I ever entered. 
I practiced eight hours a day, 364 days a year for a decade. It was my life. And at the very height of all of those things, I lived in Boston, going to one of the highest level schools in America, and I found out there was something dead inside of me. And I came to Christ, and something happened. Something happened. God came alive in me. You see, this is not about religion. This is about falling into the hands of the living God with our deadness and letting him bring ourselves, our inner self, alive. You don't have to be Billy Graham or a great theologian. You could stop right there. And your friends and family are part of the 95% of people who are pursuing life. And God gives us that opportunity. Here's the second question. And this is where I can't hardly contain myself. If, if you don't think I've hardly contained myself up to this point. <laughs> is there credibility in the messenger? This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Now, we could spend literally all afternoon looking at the prophecies of Christ and how they have so to the nth degree come true, location and, oh gosh, uh, timing, many, many things, okay? So that's marvelous in and of itself. But I'm going to be very laser focused on the great dilemma. Who is Jesus that he could actually bring life inside of me? What human being can do that, Right? So John masterfully has already told us that a few sentences back in John chapter 1 and verse 3 of Christ. Through Christ, all things were made. In other words, Christ is creator. No other religious leader in the history of mankind has claimed to be the creator of the universe. No other religious leader in the history of mankind has ever said, before Abraham was, I am, I existed. Woo, blew everybody away, ticked them off because of who he was. John says, through Christ, all things were made. Without Christ, nothing was made that has been made. You know what it will take to bring the dead alive on the inside? A creator. A creator. A creator. Now, you think, okay, Steve, you're just saying that because you happen to believe the Bible. Well, why don't we take the perspective of a man that did not believe in Jesus? His name was Nicodemus. You see, when Nicodemus came, he was not a Jesus believer, right? He was not a follower of Jesus. And he comes to Jesus in John chapter 3 and verse 2, and he says to Jesus, a guy that does not have a relationship with Christ, he's dead on the inside, and he makes this public statement, or private statement, because uh, it's nice. For no one could perform the signs you're doing, Jesus, if God were not with him. In other words, here's a guy that is dead on the inside saying, I see all the miracles. I see that you're defying the physical realm, that you're walking on water, that you're multiplying fish and bread. I'm seeing all these things, so I know you must be from God. In other words, you got some credibility here with me. You remember when Jesus said, okay, let me forgive your sins. Everybody got ticked off, and there was a guy that couldn't walk, and he said, okay, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's harder for me to say, let me forgive your sins, or harder for me to say, hey, why don't you get up and start walking? Well, the answer is, it's harder for you to say, get up and start walking. I mean, I can tell you, hey, I forgive your sins. That's pretty easy. And you don't even know if they're forgiven yet. I forgive your sins. Like, I, you know, I got the power to do that. So Jesus said, let me take the harder one. Get up and walk. Through the power over the physical realm, he built his credibility. Okay, now I can, everybody in the room agree? Show of hands? Now I can forgive sins. What do you think about that? <laughs> you see, Nicodemus was like, wow, I've seen all the miracles. Listen. The only one that can address and resolve the great dilemma that we're dead inside is the one who made the earth, who breathed into Adam in the first place to bring life. And this is the credibility that Jesus alone holds the distinction. Do I believe that Jesus is the only one that can bring life to that which is dead inside of us? The answer is not yes. It's stronger than that. Absolutely yes because of who he was. Make sense? So when we're talking about bringing the dead to life, we must be talking about the creator alone. Does it depend on human effort? 
John chapter 1 and verse 13 reminds us that we are children born not of natural descent or human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Have you ever noticed that you didn't born yourself? That, that human beings can't birth ourselves? That it didn't start with us? And there was not a day on the calendar where you said to yourself, I think I'll be born. I think I'll create myself. I mean, I know that's stupid, but you know what I mean? Somebody else did it. A, a mommy and a daddy. They, they had a human decision to bring you to life. We cannot bring ourselves to life. This is not what I do. It's what he's done, right? So Peter says it this way. According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. There it is. He has caused us to be born again. John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. All right. Fourth question. We're almost there. Is it durable? Is it durable? In other words, do I have this sense of like, oh, whew, everything's cool with me and God on Thursday, and then on Friday, I'm freaked out. You see, if I have to, if I'm in, but then I have to be good enough to keep it up, I... I'm, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to have one day where I'm like, ah, boy, I said that, I thought that, I did that, and now I'm out with God. So you see, this is where it's brilliance on God's part in John chapter, or 1 John chapter 1, uh, sorry, 1 John 3, 1, he says this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and this is what we are. Not what we hope to be, not what we are going to be, not what we'll work to be, but you are. So let me put it this way. I have two kids. I cannot unkid them. And I've tried. No, I'm just kidding. I'm trying. They're teenagers. The house key they have right now is not our house. Just don't. Hey, if you ever get lost, everything be good. No, I'm just kidding. I'm playing. It's our next door neighbor's house. You see, the brilliance of being born again is that once you're a child, no matter what I do, no matter what my 14-year-old does, he is my child. I cannot unchild him. He may land in jail. He's my child in jail. He may get addicted to something. He's my child who's addicted to something. I cannot unchild him. You see, the brilliance of our God is he's, I'm, I'm, you're born again. It's durable. I don't want to serve a God where I'm wondering, are we cool? Am I in today? What kind of God would that be? And as a parent, it's one of the most heartbreaking sensations that we have. There are times where I'm grouchy. I oh, know, breaking news. <laughs> and it's, I don't even have anything against my, my kids, but one of them will come like, Dad, are you mad with me? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not. Just the other night, uh, one of our kids wasn't feeling good. And we always have bedtime ritual, you know, go and tuck in, pray and stuff. And, but... I noticed he'd gone and shut the door, shut the light out. I thought, well, I guess he's feeling bad. I didn't think anything about him. I'm like, I guess he's feeling, not feeling good. He just cr kind of crashed out. And about 15 minutes later, he came walking in the living room. His eyes kind of blurry coming out of the dark. And he said, Dad, Dad are, you, are you mad at me? <sighs> it broke my heart. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, oh, I'm not mad at you. I was mad at you yesterday, but I'm <laughs> Just think about a child of God going, God, am I still in? Am I still your child? Have I screwed it up past a threshold of your compassion? 
You see, this is why Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, that the father ran to the renegade. He was practicing, I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father said, are you kidding me? I cannot unchild you. Christianity is durable. Karma is not durable. Reincarnation, where I might get an upgrade or a downgrade, and I'm only going to know when I get there, is not durable. I say it mercifully because there's a father who will robustly give you security and peace. And then you know what happens? We get to enjoy dad. We get to enjoy dad. My father can't unchild me. Now I love you. And you love me, and I'm not going to keep trying to win your favor by some gold star. Finally, is it fair? People that know me closely know that fairness is a big deal for me. There's some religions in the world that when you're born into this slate, that's it. That's who you are, that's who you'll always be. You're in that slate. There's some religions of the world that in order to talk to God, I've got to talk to this other human being. And I guess, wow, he must be better than I am because I don't have a direct line or something. There's some religions that are set up in such a way that, that there are levels of acceptance. But see, in Christianity, we're told in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, you are all, boy, what a cool word. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And there's the cool word again. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You see, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor, nor free, male nor female, teenage or adult, black, white, Asian, Indian, rich, not so rich, totally poor, super smart, brilliant, Steve, on the other end of that, <laughs> let him in. Wow, I'm pretty hopeful. <laughs> Jesus says, it doesn't matter who you are. Come to me, all you that are heavy with the dilemma, and I will bring you alive and give you rest. With all the world around us looking, we close with this. Come all you who are thirsty, give ear and come to me. And there it is, thousands of years ago, addressing the dilemma that your soul may live. There it is. There's sometimes I have violated all, the principle of all. Bob's a jerk. I'm not talking to him about Christ. That guy is super intellectual. Dude, I'm not talking to him. He's going to tear me up. See, I've adjusted all to some by my own measures. So there was a guy, he was wrestling with alcoholism. His name was Dan in another city. And I, and I, I worked the courage up to share Christ. You know how that is. I'm just being real with you. Like, hey, man, I'm going to invite Dan to lunch. Some of, I've told some of you this story. I'm going to invite Dan to lunch, and <clears throat> I'm going to work up the courage to bring Jesus into the conversation. You ever been there? <laughs> so I went to Dan. I'm like, hey, Dan, <clears throat> hey, you want to go to lunch or something? You know, like, dude, are you, like, nervous? No, I'm fine. It'll be great. Hey, we're going to have lunch. I mean, it was already weird from the beginning, right? <laughs> so Dan was like, sure, let's go to lunch. I'm like, yeah, whew, first step. Can I call that witnessing? I'm just kidding. So I'm like, okay, let's go. So time came to go to lunch. I'm like, hey, I'm going to lunch. I'm going out the door. And Dave, the super intellect, said, hey, where are you guys going? Lunch, I'll go with you. I'm like, no, no, Dave's going to tear me up. See, Dave had this, like, cool goatee. You know, guys that have cool goatees. And he twirled it as he pierced through your soul. Probably had some cool tattoo, you know. Here I am, Mr. Goofy. I'm like, 
You know, I'm going to bring Jesus up. I'm like, oh, man, I started strategizing. Maybe I can give Dave my car keys, tell him the wrong car, and at least I got like 38 seconds to present the gospel to Dan. You know what? Dave's looking for the wrong car. Something, you know? Anyway, I'm, I'm there. I'm at lunch. Now we got Dan, who's my, you know, I'm going to focus on Dan, and there's twirling, you know, cool guy, intellectual guy. I'm like, hey, hey Dan, uh, you know, I know you're struggling with alcohol and everything, so I'm just nervous. I can feel my breath. Like, hey, man, Jesus, really, you know, he's changed my life a lot, and, and I just start rolling out with it, you know, and then I'm like, God, just take over because I'm blowing it, you know how that is, and God, take over. All the time, Dan is twirling like to cut that little goatee right off his chin. <laughs> So I, I finished my deal, and Dan says, wow, man, that sounds really true. I cut Dan out. Uncle Dave, sorry, I forgot his name. I cut Dave out. I wonder who we're cutting out, because we've got some deal on our head. And Jesus reminds us that everybody has the dilemma and Christ is the only one. And now he's called us to carry the life to 95% of the globe who's looking for God. You get it? Let's pray. Father, we begin as we, we end here, as we begin, you're a good, good father. And we're grateful. And it just seems at these moments that words are inadequate, truly, to express our gratitude for not leaving us dead. But you came to us and you offered through Jesus something that no religion, that no other being could offer. You offered us life to that which was dead. And so, Father, we are here together, perhaps different backgrounds, most likely, different ages different economic backgrounds, God, but we are all human beings. And we're human beings that without Christ, we're dead on the inside. And God, for us that have experienced your life, we're grateful. But we're, but we're not just minimally grateful, God, help us to be so deeply grateful that we're willing to share that life with others. And help us to be so profoundly thankful, even in this moment, that we're praying right now for our friends, our family, our guests sitting right in proximity of us here in this room. Perhaps you have come today and maybe you've been in church a lot of years, or maybe you're just checking the whole thing out. And somehow God today, in this, this conversation, through the power of bringing his word alive in you, has rung your doorbell, has awakened you to the fact that Christ alone came as the creator and the Creator became our Savior by offering Himself on a cross to take your sins, your mistakes, your failures, your condition, and absorb it for you. And you know, along with much of the rest of the world, that there is a gap between you and God and that gap is death 
that gap is something has died on the inside. And today, you want to say to God, God, I'm here to fall into the arms of Christ through faith. Trusting in what he did on the cross and trusting him to bring inside of me a new life, supernaturally. Like the prodigal son, I come to the father and say, I'm here dead, but I want to be alive. No, no music playing, no manipulation, no pressure. I wonder if that's you. And the honesty between you and God, if you would say, that's me, God. I feel dead on the inside. And I need a supernatural new birth through Christ. I want to pray for you. There are people permeating in this room. They're praying for you right now. This is not embarrassment, an embarrassment time. This is not to point yourself out. But I'm going to ask you, if you would say to yourself in your heart, I want to be alive on the inside through Christ. I want you to acknowledge to God, and I'm going to pray for you. We're not looking around, but I'm, I'm, I'm just perusing this room, and we won't go on and on, and it's, it's totally comfortable. Don't feel awkward. If you would raise your hand, if that's you, to say, I want Christ for the first time to bring life to me. Is there anyone in the privacy of, in, in this moment that you would raise your hand to God? Thank you. Thank you. To say, I want Christ in my life. Anyone else? We'll just wait for a moment. And a time, an intersection that could change your life. Anyone else? Father, what can we say? What can we say, God? To a creator that loves us so much that has brought life to us again. Not only can we say thank you, God, but we can also vocalize to our friends and family that Jesus alone, that Jesus alone can bring new life. So here we are, recipients, God, many of us, of Christ and his birth. I pray for your church, God. Help us not to be quiet. I'm going to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.